Show it to me. I must be in monitors or something. Hey, listen, uh, we are in the Gifts of God series. If you, want, if you have Bibles with you, uh, you're going to want to open them today. I really would encourage you, I always do every week, to open your Bibles. Uh, if you don't have one with you here this morning, we have some in the back. It would be good to have one with you. Open them to put your fingers in two places. Ephesians chapter 4 will be important. We've been in that aspect of the, the Bible for a few weeks. And also 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll be spending some time over there today looking at this next gift. And so for those of you who are with us first here, time here today during this series, we've been in this series. Now this is the fourth week of the Gift of God series. Uh, we're completing today the first part, the first part of this series, which is found in Ephesians 4, chapter, uh, verses 11 and 12. Let me put the verses on screen. And we've looked at these gifts that are given to the church first in our series. And they are these. And he, Ephesians 4, tells us, Jesus, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And so before we dive into our text for today, which is going to be surrounding the fourth part, which is the shepherds and the teachers, uh, we're going to have a little bit of a recap, and I'll try to make this as quick as possible, but I think the review is important. We, we started the gifts here for a couple of reasons. The first reason is, is that most of you who have ever been to a spiritual gifts course, seminar, or sermon series, this is not covered. <laughs> it's usually jumping directly into Romans uh, uh, at chapter 12 in Ephesians, uh, pardon me, Corinthians chapter 12 to 14, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Right? This is overlooked, and, and that it shouldn't be. These are foundational and important gifts that we are, see given to the church. And so that's really the second reason, is because we believe that all of these gifts, hear me, all of these gifts are foundational to the beginning and planting of every healthy church since the days of the apostles. So we've learned this related to the first two gifts, apostles and the apostolic, and as well as prophets and the prophetic, that there are those today, believe it or not, <laughs> there are those today, learned uh, uh, pastors and theologians, people we respect very much, who believe that those two gifts are foundational and have ceased when the last apostle passed away as well as the prophets have also ceased. And then they would also, as we will look when we get into the spirit gifts in the next two weeks, they would say that healings and miracles and definitely tongues has ceased. Well, we've been looking at it very carefully as a church, and that's what we like to do is we like to go through the word of God on screen in our Bibles together and reason together from the scripture. And we've been looking at that very carefully. And so we've also learned that there are many other respected theologians and pastors today who disagree somewhat, and specifically for a few reasons. The first is actually seen in the next verse. And I know that the first week that I put this up on screen, a few people were surprised, because you just we go through this passage over and over, and we go, huh, yeah, apostles and prophets, foundation, ceased, and then there's the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, and that's what we have for today. Except the next verse begins with this word. And the word is until, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood and womanhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It keeps going on until verse 16, and it's basically until we attain what? Perfection. Well, we still have work to do, don't we? We still have work to do. And so there's no, there's no uh, clear teaching in this scripture at this point that all of those or part of those gifts have ceased. I do understand why some people might feel that. Now, secondly, we do agree. 
as we went through the uh, apostles and prophets uh, a few weeks ago, we do agree that what I've termed the capital A apostles, those hand chosen by Jesus who lived during the period of his baptism with uh, uh, John the Baptist all the way through his death, burial, resurrection, and his ascension, those are the capital A apostles and those gifts are not being given today. Amen? Right, we don't, those guys are done. And, and yet there was a, a number of small A apostles like Barnabas and Timothy and Epaphroditus and a woman by the name of Junia. Go figure. We would also agree that capital P prophets, those who prophesy the future, uh, events that will happen, those gifts have ceased for today. We would agree on that. Jesus being the last of those prophets, giving the prophecy of the book of Revelation to John about the end times and how all of this will wind up. So we, we agree with that. In the first case, these uh, small a apostles, these gifts, these uh, apostolic gifts that are being given to the church today, we've seen are these. They're, they are the church planters. They are the missionaries. Those, these, those are the people who are gifted by God to go and start new ministries, to lay foundations. In the cases of church planting, to appoint elders and raise up leaders. And so it's very foundational work, and it, it's a specific give, gifting that's given to individuals to do that. And secondly, also, we saw that this small p prophetic gift is also being given today. And it's in the form of those who are boldly proclaiming the Word of God. And hear this, they're boldly proclaiming from the capital A apostolic authority of the Scripture that has been written. So there's no new revelation coming today that would therefore end up being in our Bibles. But there are people with a gift that is prophetic. And we learned actually from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 why that is so, why we believe that these gifts, uh, small p prophecy, have not ceased. Do you remember that? In chapter 14, uh, verse 29 of 1 Corinthians, he says this about the prophecy gifts for today. He says, let two or three prophets speak. Again, in the Old Testament, that didn't really happen. You didn't have two or three prophets coming into the synagogue or the temple and all speaking at one time. But one thing that you definitely didn't have happening in the Old Testament or in the New Testament times of a few capital P, prophets like John the Baptist, you never saw where he says, and let others weigh what is said. So this is a different kind of prophecy for today, we believe. So this never happened, as I said, in the Old Testament, the New Testament. No one was ever called to weigh or debate what the prophets said, because the prophets usually started off with, thus saith the Lord. Like, like, do you want to argue with that? I mean, you could but that was not what we saw. So we've concluded that these gifts are persons. They are individuals who are being given by Jesus to every church that is planted and every new ministry that is started today. They are different, certainly in some cases, but very much needed. So last Sunday, we then discovered the gift of evangelist and evangelism in the message that Rudy preached which it's much less controversial today in the minds of those convinced that the gifts have ceased. But the reality is those same individuals sometimes put much, much more emphasis in the local church today on the gift we're going to look at today, the gift of shepherd and teacher. And it was wonderful how Rudy unpacked that last week to show us that, yes, there is the public There's the public evangelist, the Billy Grahams, the people who get on soapboxes outside like Rudy would like to do from time to time and and proclaim the gospel boldly, publicly. 
but there's also the personal evangelism that we are all called to. And so sometimes what can happen is we put too much emphasis into the gift that we're going to see today, leaving it up to the, the guy up front to do the work. We'll bring people, you preach the gospel, you do the altar call. No, that's the work of all of us. Because the work as we've seen so far in Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, is my role, the role of anyone who's leading in the church, is to equip you for the work of ministry. Excited? <laughs> it's awesome. So our outline for the series has been this. I'll just quickly put it on screen. Uh, we're at part four today, shepherds and teachers, and then next week we will begin uh, spirit gifts part one, and then we'll end with spirit gifts part two, which should be a lot of fun. <laughs> now to begin with, I want to show you today something that we haven't discussed so far in this series. We haven't discussed the fact that there are actually three categories of gifts. So sometimes you read the Bible and you're like, okay, so <clears throat> Paul's written about gifts that Jesus gives to the church in Ephesians 4. Then he's written over in Romans 12, gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then also in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. And then Peter talks about, you know, like, you know, these guys are a little dyslexic. I mean, do they forget? No, this is, again, the Holy Spirit inspiring and revealing to the church, the early church, the gifts. And they fall into three categories, and I want to show you that this morning before we look at shepherds and teachers. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 to 6, and I'll put it on screen, where Paul writes, Now, look at this. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a varieties of services, or, quite frankly, ministries is another way to translate that word, but the same Lord, Jesus. And there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God. The Greek word is theos there, who empowers them all in every one. So this is one of those, again, these wonderful passages of Scripture where we see the Trinity on display. The word Trinity is not used in the Bible anywhere. But we see it on display here. We have the Holy Spirit, we have the Lord Jesus, and we have God the Father participating in the gifts that are given to the church. And there's three different categories there. The first uh, category is the, what we see at the very beginning, the varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. The word gifts there is the word charismata, where we get the word charismatic. And we understand that, of course, is, that's grace. That's, that's, uh, that's being given by the Holy Spirit to the church. These are his gifts, and we'll see that in Romans 12, verses 6 to 8 next week when Rudy brings the message on that. The second is found in the word service, and as I said, it's really the word ministries, but service is good because it's a root word of the Greek word diakonos, which we know means servant. It means deacon in the church, but it means servant is what it means. And those are the gifts that we have been looking at these past three weeks and today. These are the gifts that Jesus is giving to the church in Ephesians 4, 11 to 12. And then finally, we're going to see where it says, and varieties of activities. Now, the word there is an interesting Greek word. It's actually the word, I'll try to pronounce it right, but you'll get it. It's energima. We get the word energy from that, or energetic. And we're going to see those gifts, and I'll bring that message in two weeks from 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 to 11, the gifts of the Spirit, part 2. So there's actually these three categories to keep in mind as we're going through. And uh, we spent most of our time in the first foundational ones, and we'll finish with that today. So shepherds and teachers, let's get into that this morning. I'll put the uh, main verse back up on screen for you. 
Um, and as we begin our look at the subject today, I, 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 I told you in the very first message, this is going to seem a little bit like a seminary class, a little bit academic. Today, you're welcome. Pretty much the same kind of thing, but it's, it's important that we look at some words. Words are really important in this passage and for us to understand these things. If we're going to especially understand the gift of shepherd, let alone teacher. Now, the first word uh, that is not used in this translation that we have in the ESV is really important. Some of you will have a translation where the word shepherd is actually translated with the word, anybody got it? Pastor. That's an important word for us to unpack and think about this morning. Some of you will have that in your translations. I believe the King James, the New King James, uh, I believe the NASB, various translations translate that pastor. Now, I'm pretty sure that most of you here today, most people watching or listening, don't really have any experience with a shepherd. Anybody, anybody here in the room actually met a shepherd? Uh, have you ever been to a place where there's like 500 sheep and there's a shepherd, a very smelly man with a, with a cane and walks around? Could be a woman too, but you know, anybody? So it's, it's rather foreign, isn't it? It's, it's, it is a, it's a foreign understanding. It's not a word that we're very familiar with. We're familiar with the word pastor, aren't we? We very much are. But the original of the word pastor is very interesting. It actually comes from the Latin word, and I'm familiar with this because I went to a private boys Jesuit high school in Toronto where we learned Latin for five years. It's painful, okay? But it comes in handy. The root word that pastor comes from is the word pascare. Pascare literally means uh, a carer of a field, which would include animals. But then there's another word that comes out of that, and it's the word pastorum. Uh, which is in the plural, and that is the actual word where we get that. Now, the early reformers, right, those, those priests and monks and men that broke away from the Roman Catholic Church, they took the Vulgate translation, the Latin Vulgate translation of the Bible, and that's how they translated that, and then they came up with the word pastor. So it's a little bit like, remember when we looked at the word church, right? It, why did we end up with the word church in our Bibles? Well, we ended up with that word because the first translation of the Bible literally back in the Reformation days was a German translation. And the German word just spelled K-I-R-C-H-E, and I always pronounce it badly. For those who are German, I won't even try. Uh, and so we got the word church from that, and that became something that was, it, it was misleading to a certain extent because it literally means the word ecclesia called out once. A gathering of called out ones. And so what we've learned in the past is that we've ended up with this idea that the church is, is, is this building, this place, this sacred place with sacred texts. And well, we know as the rock church, no, it's not. That is not the church. You are the church. We are the church. We're the called out ones. Well, similarly, the word pastor for shepherd, I want to suggest to you this morning, has resulted in, in many misunderstandings, um, and, and many have understood it to become a title, right? A title for what? Well, a title for someone who holds a position, and this is an important word, an office in the church, right? Anybody ever heard that? That's, that's an office in the church is the, the title pastor, and it's led to a lot of confusion. I, I believe as we've already read in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 6, these gifted persons all of these gifted persons that Jesus is giving to the church are servants. Diakonize. 
Servants in ministries, yes. Um, it's an important distinction. They're leading ministries, yes, but these are not necessarily offices in Ephesians. So that's an important distinction. For example, my, my title, most of you will know if you look at the Boltons or if you look on our website, my title is lead pastor. Sounds, inform, sounds formal, right? Sounds pretty important. It's, it, as I've said many times, it's not in the sense that I'm one of us. This is my role. This is my responsibility. But what, what if today my title was lead shepherd? I want you to think about that. That's what it should be when we look at the text. Would it change things a little bit in our minds? Away from uh, the role of an office, an important person, a title to a servant ministry? Someone who cares for the flock? I think it might. And that really is the idea behind the text. So maybe we should do that. Maybe we should keep that in mind. The Greek word in Ephesians 4, again, I'm getting a bit geeky with you, but it's important. The Greek word that's used here is the word poimen. It is always translated in the Bible, shepherd. Never any other title or word. It's shepherd, poimen. And so this pastor issue, I think it's okay. We can use it today as long as we understand what it means, right? I don't really want to change my title, but unless you insist, we will do that. But so pastors then, let's remember this going forward this morning. They are shepherds given to the church by Jesus, the local church, along with the apostolic, prophetic, and evangelistic gifts for the equipping of saints, to you, right, and me, uh, for the ministry, the work of ministry, for the upbuilding of the church when? Until. Until we all mature. And so like I've already said, we've got some work to do, right? We, we need these gifted individuals. So now the next word that we want to look at is a word that I know all of you this morning came here to, to be described as, we need to talk about sheep, don't we? Don't you just love that? You know, don't you just love that, you know, when a pastor takes the opportunity to compare you and me to sheep? Well, some of us, you know, we think of lammies, right? They're nice soft and that's, that's the good part, right? It's wonderful. But really, it can be right up there with, you know, like, for example, a donkey. Yeah, it's not something we look forward to, to be compared to that animal. Is it? I want you to think about that, because I certainly have this week. I mean, I mean, let's see. What would be a good example today of, of someone who is easily, hear this, easily led astray, gets lost easily, is relatively helpless, when it comes to actually looking after themselves, although they think they can, what would be a really good example of someone today, not you, of course, that fits that description? A child? An infant, for sure. I was thinking about this week, some people might say a millennial. That's not fair. I just, I had to say that, okay. It's, I know, it's gross. It's not fair. But what would we compare it to do? Well, we need to look at this. And, and here's the reason why it's really important. This is the way that we are described by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ most often. It's the comparison he makes. And we all know he loves us, right? So we need to look at that. So here's a few specifics about sheep for you. This will be so much fun. First, let me, let me accentuate the positive because it's really not going to get pretty as we go along. But first is this. Sheep are not contrary to popular... I've heard this in sermons before, and then I did some research on it. It's not true. They're often described as pretty thick, right? Kind of dumb. 
It's not true, actually. They're not dumb animals at all. The reality is they're kind of given that title or that label because they're different from many, many other animals in the animal kingdom. They're actually quite beautiful animals when they're clean. Okay? They're beautiful animals when they're clean. Uh, they're known actually to be very gentle, somewhat humble uh, animals who have very simple needs. That's about it for the positive. That's about it. But secondly, this is true about sheep. Sheep will actually get completely lost if they're more than one kilometer from home. Completely lost. Now that's different, isn't it? If they're more than a thousand meters from the farm, from home, if they happen to get away a thousand meters from home, they do not have a homing mechanism in them like many other animals in the kingdom, like birds and other animals, dogs, for example. They, their sense of smell, they, they, even if, though they have a sense of smell, it does not make them go, oh, home's over there. They, they're lost, Hopeful, hopelessly lost. And so this is, this is so if not found soon, the reality is they will die. They will die. And usually of dehydration before starvation. So, so the reality is, is that sheep are generally, or what's best for them, stay-at-home animals. They're generally best that they stay at home. Now you're looking at that and I'm looking at that and going, sheep, and we, we have travel today, we can go all over the world, we can do whatever we want, right? And we think that's normal. That's awesome. I'll let you talk about that in small group this week and unpack that a little bit and see what you think. So if they're not found soon, like I said, they will die, usually of hydration. Uh, once lost, however, they, they are actually known to actually sometimes, because they don't know where to go, they start going around in circles. And then actually, as they're going around in circles, you can see their breathing gets escalated and they start panting. And that's actually why you start hearing, bah, right? Was that okay? Is that right? Bah. Okay. There was a bit of distortion there, I think. But they start bang, right, a lot. Why? Because they're afraid. They're lost. They're either afraid because they're lost, then they're far from home, or they know there's a predator nearby, or they're hungry, or they need water, right? So you'll remember from the Gospels when Jesus saw the crowds, and again, I want to just bring this home to the fact that Jesus loves us, and he compares us to this, but when he saw the crowds, remember, that were following him at one point, and, and, and he saw how disoriented, how lost and confused they were, he said these words. When he saw the crowds, it's recorded, he had compassion for them, love for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And that's the condition, frankly, if you think about it, that we are all in, or have been in, or are prone to. And that's why the words of Isaiah are so true, speaking in, in a passage famous for the birth of Christ and the incarnation, he speaks about us where he says this, all we, all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned, everyone, to his own way. Now that's a prophet. Is it true? It's true. It's why we need a great shepherd, amen? To come and save us, to heal us. But it's also why we need shepherds today. So the bottom line is this, if a shepherd doesn't first notice uh, they're missing and then go find them, their life expectancy is not 
good. It's just not. They will die. They will die. And so that leads to, thirdly, sheep are easy prey for predators. Very easy prey for predators. The most notable in Scripture, of course, are wolves, but there are many other predators for them. And the reality is they are defenseless. They're defenseless animals. And the reason for that is that they, they haven't been given by God too much in the way of actual defenses against these predators. They can't kick, for starters. Seriously, go to a farm. I read this about some farms in New Zealand that raise really good lamb chops. And, uh, okay, that's not a good analogy. Um, but they, they can't kick. They don't bite. They, their teeth are not, they're just for munching. And, and, and they, they, don't, they can't bite. So they don't have the capability to protect themselves in these ways. And, and here's the other thing. They cannot really run. It's, yeah, you could, you could chase them, but they're kind of like, okay, let's go. They, they can't run. And so they're very, very defensive. They're basically, at the end of the day, dead meat <laughs> when it comes to a predator. Fourthly, and I heard about this, uh, and at first I was really like, really, is that true? But again, I read about it on a, a, a New Zealand uh, a sheep farm. There's a lot of sheep in New Zealand, by the way, if you didn't know that. Um, and it, there's actually an animal called this. Does anybody know this? There's an animal called a Judas goat. Anybody know that? That was news to me. I had never heard that one before. And, and its main job is to lead sheep to the slaughter. It literally starts walking and the sheep are like, okay, we're going, we're following him. And they do. They follow on mass. They follow the Judas goat into the slaughterhouse and then it gets to a certain point and the Judas goat actually, there's a trapdoor door opens and the Judas goat can go down. He gets to live because he's got more work to do and they get slaughtered. Easily, easily led astray. But here's the other thing. They are natural, natural followers. They will follow just about anything that's going in a certain direction and gives them the snort or the call to follow me, follow me. Finally, and trust me, I could go on. There's so, so many others. But one final point that, we would, that would actually encapsulate, I think, all of the, or the many traits that sheep are, have is this, is that they actually are, I mean, think about the things I've been saying, they're highly dependent animals, despite the fact they probably don't think they are. Is the comparison coming home at all? No matter how good their shepherd is uh, at, at providing for them healthy water, and by the way, they, they can't drink stagnant water. Uh, it, it can't be uh, fully stagnant, non-moving water. It's got to be moving a little bit, but if it's moving too fast, they won't go near it. So there's a specific type of water they need to be around. It's got to be clean. They're, they're animals that can get sick very easily. So no matter how good one provides them with, or a shepherd provides them with clean water and healthy food, They'll often forget that. They'll often forget that and, and just start wandering around looking at other little pools of water and other kinds of green things. There are specific types of foods that are healthy for them, but in every field there are weeds and bushes that actually will make them incredibly sick. And so that's very dangerous for them. But to them, they all look the same. It looks like food. It looks like water. So I think it's sufficient background on sheep, don't you think, at this point? Does that make you feel better, like having looked at these animals? Jesus, thank you for comparing me to these animals, but again, he loves us. So let's turn to shepherds, uh, the shepherds that Jesus had in mind for his church. But here's what I want to do first. 
I want to go to the first Peter 5 passage, and I, I actually want us to see and have a look at shepherds who also do hold offices in the local church. And then we'll come back to the Ephesians 4. So 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. I'll put them on screen, but if you have your Bibles with you and reading them, it would be great to do that. First verse uh, uh, is this. So I exhort, this is Peter writing, the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagful, eag, uh, pardon me, eagle, eagerly. And then he says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock, to the sheep. And look at this. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading, unfading crown of glory. So there's a lot to unpack here, but uh, just for our purposes today, let me just give you this. Peter's writing to Christians in Philippi, a, a church that he participated in planting that he loves very much, but they're under serious persecution. In fact, they, they've had to flee <laughs> to various areas within Philippi and around that area because of persecution to the point where they're actually being literally killed, burned at the stake for their faith. So there's a lot of persecution. He, Paul, a capital A apostle, is writing to the churches in Pontius, in Galatia, in Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, and look to the elders in particular to encourage them. Even, I mean, actually the leaders, you cut off the head and what happens to the dies. So let's get the leaders, let's kill the leaders. And so he's actually writing to them to encourage them to fight the good fight. Don't give up. You're needed. You're very much needed. He exhorts the elders and he reminds them he also, being an elder in the local church, to shepherd the sheep, shepherd the flock. He tells them to exercise oversight. You see that? Let me put the screen back for you. Oversight. He encourages them to do that. So there's a couple of words here again that I need to highlight for you. The first is the word elder. And in the Greek, it is the word presbyteros where we get the word today, Presbytery, which is an office in the church, and we also get the denominational name Presbyterian, right? And also there is the word oversight, and in the Greek New Testament, it is the word episkopos, which is also uh, another denomination, uses it uh, for Episcopalian. And these words are often either elder or bishop. In other words, they, they designate an office in the church. When we read... <clears throat> Uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, and Titus uh, chapter 1, 5 to 9, he lists the qualifications there for an officer of the church, whether elder, overseer. And in each passage, he makes it clear that these passages are, these passages are held by qualified men who are to be appointed as under-shepherds of Jesus Christ, of course, for every local church. They are never referred to except by Peter here as poimen, as shepherds. They are elders and overseers. Elders and overseers. And so the function of the elders and the overseers, as we'll see, is also to be shepherds. Of their key qualifications, they must be men, look at this, if you look at 1 Timothy especially, and, and actually Titus, who demonstrate the ability 
to shepherd their own homes well. So they have to, first of all, be able to show that they're shepherding their family well, caring for them, providing for them, protecting them. And they must be able to teach. Now, Peter in this passage just establishes the truth that a large part of the role and responsibility is to shepherd the flock. And so I want us to notice they are not to do so by domineering, by authoritarian means, by, but by being examples, modeling for the church, and, of course, by teaching the Word of God. Teaching the Word of God. And being, as we've already noted in Ephesians 4, they are to model servanthood. I've often said when we're leading men's groups to, to, to talk to the men about being, and I, I will go, I'll take them to the qualifications of an elder in First Timothy and say, look, this is not just the qualifications for a man who's going to lead in the church. These are the qualifications for any man or woman in the church. Any Christian should want to attain these qualifications, which is to be a godly person. So it's, it's important also for us to see this. Uh, the Apostle Peter he came to this understanding in a very poignant way, didn't he? This understanding about shepherding the flock. Do you remember that? After he had denied Jesus three times, even when a 14-year-old girl said to him, hey, 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 weren't you with him? And Peter was, I don't know the man, right? Well, after Jesus resurrects from the dead, you'll remember what he, happened, what he did is he went to Peter. It's one of the first things he did. He goes to Peter to restore him. You know, I don't know. If someone failed that badly in my business life, I might be like, you're fired, right? Not Jesus. He goes to G Peter and three times he says to Peter or he asks Peter the question, do you love me, Peter? Each time Peter replies, yes, Jesus. Finally, he replies the third time, Jesus, come on. You know I love you. Jesus' response each time is what? Feed my sheep. So Peter came to this understanding, I want to encourage you today, this morning, very naturally. And that's why he's passing it on to the elders and to the church in Philippi and to, I believe, through the Holy Spirit, us today. So yes, there are men who are called by the Holy Spirit to the office of elder and overseer in local churches today who must be qualified in a number of specific ways and teaching and shepherding are definitely part of those qualifications. So that said, as we stated earlier, I believe and we believe that these gifts that Jesus is giving to the church in Ephesians 4 are not offices. They are servant ministries. So how then should we understand that? How, Rock Church, are we to understand that today as we lead in this community and in this church? I read a really good explanation of that in Terry Virgo's book called The Spirit-Filled Church, and I've quoted Terry before, I'll quote him again, he said this, one can have the gift of shepherding and teaching in the local church and not be an elder in the church. On the other hand, an elder must have the gift of shepherding and teaching. See that? In Ephesians 4, we're being told about servant gifts, ministries being given to the church. Eldership office is not mentioned. But in Timothy and in Peter, as we've read today, it's required. An elder, one of their qualifications must be that they can teach the Word of God and that they can shepherd. So let me put our key verse back on screen. And I want to ask you a really important question at this point. 
and he gave the apostles, the prophets. You know this passage. Let me ask you this. Do you see one letter in each one of the, these gifts that is very consistent? One letter. Let me change the screen for you and highlight it. See it now? It's the letter S. Plural. Apostolic gifts, plural. Prophetic gifts, plural. Evangelists, plural. Shepherds, plural. Teachers, plural, to the local church. Same thing is true with eldership, by the way. Eldership is always taught as a plurality. This is, this is how we avoid the domineering one-man rule in the church, which can happen in churches, sadly, is the plurality is there so that there's a balance of gifting and also of leadership in the church. So this is really important. So think about it this way. I want you to think about it this way for our conclusion we get to it today. We will get there. Think about it. And here's the question. How many sheep do you think one shepherd in a local church can properly shepherd? 12? Jesus had 12 apostles, right? Yes, there were some women too. And at the end of the day, when he was crucified, there were only 120 hanging on. How many? 12, 25, 50, 100, 150, which is about the size of our church today. Can one shepherd care for all those? Well, let me put it this way. Can a male elder shepherd also care for women on a one-to-one -one ministry basis? The answer is no. <laughs> what about the children? What about the children? Well, I think, friends, that leads us to this. There is a distinction made by Paul in the way that he lays out the gifts of God for the whole church between ministries and offices, and we see that in the plurality of these gifts that are given to the church. So now that leads us to one more interesting disagreement, um, that those who believe some of these gifts have ceased and, and their view of the Ephesians 4 gifts, with those who believe the gifts have not ceased but continue, they would say, some of our more conservative brothers and sisters, that the gift of shepherd pastor is an office and not just a ministry of the local church. I'm going to suggest to you that the primary reason why they would suggest that is one word, fear. It's fear that people might get carried away and now believe that women can be elders in the local church. I, I've been there. I've had these conversations. And yet again, I, I totally respect people's views on that. So it's fear that some will get the idea, believe that women can be shepherds and therefore elders in the local church. So to avoid that, they hold that these gifts in the church are only for men. All of these gifts that Jesus is giving to the church, by the way, but especially this one. Well, there's a problem. And we've highlighted this before, and so I'm going to put it on screen for you again from Ephesians 4. Just before the gifts that Jesus gives to the church is given to us by Paul, he writes these words. But grace... Look at this. Charismata was given to each of us. That's first. According to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, post his resurrection, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men and to women. Paul makes it very clear that these gifts are for men and women. Now, we covered this in the first message. Some of you in your Bibles, it just says men but there's usually a little notation there. In the ESV, the notation says men 
and or women. Okay? The NIV translates that, and he gave, gift, he gave gifts to his people. I really like that one because the Greek word there in the ESV being men is the Greek word anthropi, where we get anthropology, and it's for all of humanity. It's about men and women. So now as we conclude, let me try to illustrate what this might actually look like in the church for today and also provide some application. Uh, first, I think it's important, and I've alluded to this, uh, that we see that these gifts actually work together well in the local church, and therefore they're all needed. I would highly recommend two books uh, that I read in seminary that were oh, really instrumental for me, a very conservative, cessationist-type guy for most of my life in the church, and having read these books, it was like, mind-expanding, biblical teaching-expanding, written by Alan Hirsch, um, a great guy who we've had uh, up here as part of C2C and Multiply speaking many times. Two books, The Shaping of Things to Come and The Forgotten Ways. He refers to this gifting, this five-fold ministry, as apest, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teachers, and, and that it's absolutely essential that they all be working in the local church. One of his best examples that he gives is an elder board. And, and uh, when I first heard this, I was like, because I've, I've done seminars on elder boards at seminaries at Trinity Western and in churches. And I'm like, I know what an elder board should look like. Not so much. He made this point. What if, I mean, think about it. If you had just pastor shepherds, because those other gifts have ceased, as part of your elder board, what would that look like? Well, a bunch of guys who are sheep, you know, care, care for sheep. You know, they preach nice, gentle, warm fuzzy sermons, mostly topical, not too challenging. Why? Because they don't have the prophetic gift. They don't do too many altar calls because they're, they're, they're not evangelists. So he says, can you imagine having an elder board where you have that apostolic leader, that, that planter dude who's got the vision to build and go to two services and drive everybody in the church crazy after 10 years? Anyone, know anybody like that? No, I don't. And then there's the prophetic person who's got to, come on, the word of God, folks. And then there's you know, a guy like Rudy going, Glenn, when are we going to do an altar call? You know? And then there are some pastor shepherds who are going, folks, we've got people in the church who are hurting. We need, we need to do a course on marriage or freedom sessions or something like that. Can you see the point? When those gifts are active and actually appreciated and firmed in the local church, it's a blessing to the church. Friends, I, I mentioned this in our small group a few weeks ago. I am so encouraged today because our elder board actually reflects that today. That's amazing. And I've been praying for that for 10 years. And so have many others who are part of our elder board. It's a wonderful thing. So secondly, I want to emphasize this for all of us here today. You, we, we all need to see these gifts active in the local church. As Terry Virgo pointed out well in the Spirit-Filled Church, if we are just getting the pastoral shepherd gift exercised by men on Sunday morning, then it might tend to be more about our felt needs, right? Never, never really calling us out through illustration and application for the sin in our lives today, how we need to put that to death, overcome that. Very little about, hey, you need to go preach the gospel too. You need to get a soapbox and be an evangelist. No, it can be a one-track so, this shepherd thing. Let me give you some examples. I would suggest to you that even most of your neighbors today who are non-Christian, not Christian, if they've ever been to a funeral, they even call them celebrations of life now when it's for people who are not Christian, which is interesting. But I think most of them would know this beautiful psalm. 
23rd Psalm says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, healthy grass, healthy food. He leads me beside still waters, not stagnant waters, but still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And then, of course, the famous conclusion words, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Look at this, your rod and your staff. What is that used for? Comforts me? Even the shepherd gift should include that. So here's some real-life practical examples for you. Many years ago, I went to a, a conference in, in Delta. I think it was, yeah, South Delta Baptist Church. It was an expository preaching conference. And um, the keynote speaker was a man many of you have heard of before. I really have appreciated his ministry over the years in many ways. His name is John MacArthur. And he was the keynote speaker. He's going to teach all of us young preacher wannabes, how to do expository preaching. And, you know, if you've ever listened to him, like, he's pretty black and white. He's not your comfy, cozy, shepherdy type guy, right? He's really bold and prophetic. He's an awesome preacher, different kind of voice. But he opened up his seminar, his first talk, and he goes, yeah, listen, I just wanted to, good morning, it's great to be here. Um, uh, yeah, just this last week, I was talking to my good friend, Chuck Swindoll. Now, I know this is old school for some of you. Anybody know that name? And he said, I was talking to Chuck, and Chuck said to me, John, did, have you ever noticed something? Of the 200 radio stations that you and I are on in America, um, it's usually that at 10 o'clock, you come on first, and I come on second. And, and John goes, I, I, I said to Chuck, I, no, I, John speaking, I, I never noticed that. And, and, uh, and Chuck says, well, I know why. And John MacArthur said, well, why is that? He goes, well, because you beat them up, and then I come and make them feel better. We need both voices. In this world today, you can leave here today and you can hear much better sermons than I preach. You can hear a voice that you don't want to listen to and a voice you don't want to listen to. Can I encourage you to be careful about that? We need these voices. We need them all, which is why it's so encouraging to have Rudy here now. And we're hoping to raise up other men in the church who can preach God's word, who have a different gift. Let me give you a couple of women examples. Any of you ever heard of Kay, uh, Kay Arthur? I was going to say Kay MacArthur. She would not like that. Oh, maybe she would. Kay Arthur. Anybody know her? Inductive Bible studies. She's about the same age as John MacArthur. Uh, unbelievable Bible teacher. And, and, but many young women today are like, oh, she's really serious. <laughs> and then there's who else? Beth Moore, right? Life of the party. Beth is an awesome teacher too. Very bubbly, very uh, vivacious, an incredible personality. Two different voices, really important voices, both of them, for women to hear. How about in the New Testament? Any of you remember the bit in Corinthians where Paul says to the church in Corinth, hey, listen, what's going on here? Why are some of you saying, we prefer Paul? And others are saying, we prefer Apollos. Hey, listen, one plants. One waters, another gets to see the fruit. There's a lesson here for us, church. The lesson is we need all of these different voices. And so some examples for us here in the church is our elder board. Uh, we talked about this in a small group a few weeks ago. One person went through every one of our elders and said, yeah, that one's a shepherd, that one's an evangelist, that one's prophetic, that one's apostolic. It was, 
I hope you can see that, and, and it's true that we do have that as part of our elder board. I had, where was it? I left it, maybe I left it at the back. I had some notes, my notes from last Monday's elder board. I just want to tell you this. You should know this is a church. We start our elder meeting, first of all, by the elders checking up on me. How are you doing? How's your marriage? How's your spiritual life? And then I do that with the elders. But then what we do is we have a, a section at the top of the, 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 and it usually takes an hour, and it's called care of the flock. And do you know what the first point is on that care of the flock? Who's missing? Who's missing? Who's sick? Who's hurting? All of those. And then we pray for everybody. But we are concerned as shepherds about those who are hurting. So let me ask you this other question. And this is important at this point. Are there any women in the Rock Church gifted in this way? Now, people uh, uh, notice that the elders have these gifts. Any women? I'm going to give you two, because I, I know I can mention them, and, and one of them will not be upset with me. Actually, both of them aren't here, but my wife is a shepherd. She loves getting women together and making sure they're studying the Bible and praying together. And she has a shepherding gift. She has other gifts, but that's a gift she has. Sarah Whitsed. She, she not only wanted her title to be, she wanted it to be more than just uh, a director of children's ministries. She wanted to be director of family ministries. Why? Because she sees her role being a shepherd for the children, yes, but also for the parents, to guide them, encourage them in their walk with Jesus. So finally, I want you to remember this this morning. We've seen this in this, these first four messages. This is incredible. We've seen that Jesus is the definite article apostle. Remember that? He is the sent one. We've seen that Jesus is the definite article prophet. He is the definite article evangelist. He is the great shepherd, your shepherd, my shepherd, our Lord. He is the great teacher of us all. So that being true, what then are these gifts that he's given to the church in individuals for the benefit and building up of the church? They are him. They are him. Pray with me, would you?